Sunday Strolls, a podcast to get to know the people living in and around the busy streets of the French capital, Paris. I'm your host, Leticia, and each week, a new guest, or in this case, two new guests, with an inspiring story take me around a neighbourhood of Paris that's important to them. As we walk and talk, I find out about the personal stories connected to that particular place. This week, join me on my stroll with Jean Biche. Jean Biche is a multidisciplinary artist. He's based in Paris, although he also spent a significant part of his life in Belgium. He went to art college in Brussels, where he started DJing and created his own party. From there, he got into cabaret and has an exciting career as a performer. He was a resident artist at the Manco Cabaret, has worked with Paco Rabanne, Jean-Paul Gaultier and other designers. He's currently a resident DJ at the Centre Pompidou and now runs his own cabaret show called Bagnilon. Self-taught in everything he does, Jean Biche is truly impressive and I'm so glad he joined me on my podcast to talk about himself and his experience with cabaret, amongst other things. We met at the Danferrochereau place, right opposite the entrance to the Catacombe Museum in the 14th arrondissement of Paris. And from there, we stayed in the theme of ossuaries and bones and walked through the Montparnasse Cemetery. Throughout the stroll, we talk about skeletons, performing in the Manco Cabaret, and the concept of empowerment. A map of our walk is available on the podcast's Instagram page so you can follow along and the links are in the show notes. And now, here's my conversation with Jean Biche. How do you do? Like you clap or you just started no, recording, recording already? No, already. Oh, you're already. Um, okay, cool. So the first question I ask everyone mm-hmm. is um, for you to describe where we are and why you chose this place. I suppose it's like the gates of hell, you know? Because the Donfer Rochereau place with the lion it makes you start to be in another area of Paris. It's still Paris, but then you start with the, the catacomb and the Jean Moulin Museum. I don't know, there's a vibe to it that says like, welcome to this place. And I've never been to any of those two museums, to be honest. Have you never wanted to? I did, but you never do the museums where you live. It's the usual. That's true. I suppose I would have visited them when, when I was not living in this area yet. But now yeah. I do, so I'll have to move out. And so, why, why this place? I guess because you live here? Is there any other particular reason? Yeah, I think the cemetery is closer to the park I love the most here as well, which is the Montsouris Park. But Montsouris is 35, 40 minutes walk from my house. Um, at least the cemetery, you are as, just as peaceful. Uh, and it's five minutes walk and also there's there's a vibe to it for we are here in the south area of Paris which we call the left shore the rive gauche so yeah the south part of Paris is where I've always lived I moved in Paris in 2015 I took it as a very personal signal of this is where I feel great and feel home I moved in here a year and a half ago in the 14th And I realized that it was definitely an epicenter of intellectual and artists from uh, post-World War until probably the late 70s. So whenever I I wander in a cemetery, I realized that there were most of the musicians and writers and directors I was admiring. Mm. So they buried in the cemetery. Yeah. 
And today I have a mission. I have to find the grave of Delphine Serig. I realized that she was buried there and I never found it yet. But um, it's very peaceful. You just take a walk, just your feet on the, on the little graves. It always sounds so, so nice. And I have no personal relative in that cemetery, so it's not, not exactly <laughs> like emotional. It's soothing, it's humbling, but it's, it's not personal. It, it is not that as dramatic as it seems. Is like walking outside a big part of, of your life if you ever need to relax or, I don't know, feel inspired? I, I would walk, uh, work from home, mostly. Uh, whether it's graphic design or illustration, I'd be in front of my computer. Or if I design my own costumes or make my own wigs, uh, that is a time lapse that is stretching so hard that some point you just put your head back up and realize I've been locked in this house for way too long. Yeah. <laughs> Go out. Yeah, you need to leave and think of something else. Yeah. So my first choice is the cemetery, and then my second is the Monsouri Park, whenever I'm gonna like take two hours, like really let go. My job is what I've been passionate about since I'm a child. So I don't feel like I have to go to work, like in those sentences, like how's work? It's never work for me. I, I put my hand on the table as soon as I wake up and I, and I just turn off my computer or my sewing machine right before brushing my teeth and going to bed. And it doesn't feel like a punishment. That's great. I guess that's, that's you know, the goal to, to do something and have it feel um, like you're just having fun the whole time. The craziest thing is that it now pays the rent. Like, it took a long time to get there. Yeah. But it does pay the rent now. It's fascinating. I um, always lived between France and Belgium. And I've been to college, uh, art college in Brussels. Started DJing in the meantime. Um, then as a young DJ, you have to create your own events to be a resident DJ somewhere because you're young. Mm. So I created my own party, did the graphic design, the communication, the lineup, uh, booking my, some colleagues, um, finding an entertainment, uh, and then putting out looks to, to work there. And then the looks ended up taking a rather strong part until someone one day said, why don't you go up front from the DJ decks? Because you would only see up to my belly button mm. with the, um, the DJ booth. So I just pre-recorded something and started dancing in front of it. It worked. I had fun. And, um, and then a couple of years later, um, just a club uh, owner said, why don't you do a monthly cabaret and you do whatever you want? And that's how things grew in my career. Meanwhile, I had editorials, um, newspapers, uh, fashion design brands would call me as well to do illustration. Um, what else have I done? Styling for photo shoot, makeup, because for me it is almost the same to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just drawing but on a living material. Um, and cabaret sums up most of those skills. It's just a 
just a lovely storytelling in a party environment. Yeah. And you need graphic design, you need music, you need visual, you need styling on the body, choreography, light, sound, sonography, and just, yeah, good drinks, good food, good music, and having a strong vision and welcoming people as if you are, you are welcoming them to your own little living room. Mm. So Yeah, so like having a, a strong vision of of what you want out of your show, I guess, is, mm. is super important. And the experience in itself, uh-huh. like be on the show, be on just the clubbing part, just to nicely figure out like, what is it that we're talking about? Who are we? Yeah. And what are we doing here? Because just to go like, we're gonna party, like, well, that sounds a bit random. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's actually really interesting how, how people in like the world of cabaret are kind of like you in the sense that they're jack of all trades and you know you can do makeup but you also dance and you also uh, DJ and it's like all of these different different things that come together in into cabaret but I'm wondering if um, it's very common for people to start off DJing and then and then go into cabaret well to my personal feeling I I guess any creative mind is doesn't have enough with one skill and one tool tool in his hands it's not even possible to have one talent and just to do it for one thing or you are an artisan and you are maybe servicing a customer or any precise technical uh, request Um, I must say that in Belgium the question was much more easy which is why I think I grew up that sense of um, dividing myself more in Brussels than in Paris because I moved here in 2015 to be a resident artist in a big cabaret and then three years later I tried to go back to DJ and everyone was convinced that I was a fraud (laughs) they were all like you can't be this you're already that and like Mm. what if I'm I'm both yeah and it took a minute and so how did you then, <laughs> because now, now you're a resident DJ at the Centre Pompidou, no? Yep. Um, so how did you manage to show people you want abroad <laughs> and get back into DJing? True. How did that happen? I think I was trying to be back on the decks um, and I think it was an independent radio in Brussels called Kiosk Radio. And they had... Um, um, they had a show and they invited me to DJ for an hour so first step was for me to showcase that I could be on radio my music was worth it I was DJing but people weren't exactly sure of the level uh, so being back in Belgium helped me because my, my previous bookers would, would be a support and then I reached out to the Club Paradisio in Saint-Germain-des-Prés mm-hmm. and said, look, I'm a DJ, I'm into disco, I love it, and uh, could we have a party with you? They said yes, and then pandemic happened. Look, this is Serge Gainsbourg's graveyard. Mm. Yeah, it's one of the most famous. Yeah. Maybe we can go in that division. I don't go there often. Maybe this is maybe, where the, gra- the, the, this is where the hid- hidden one is. <laughs> yeah, so you, you, were, you were talking about... Um, uh, the Club Paradiso. Reaching out yeah. to Club Paradiso. I was trying to get a resident party on my own and then the COVID-19 happened right away. I felt like, okay, this party will never see the light of a day. And then in July, um, 
that director um, uh, who's called Vincent and he called me up saying well I have a rooftop on the Pompidou Center there's a restaurant called the Georges and would you like to DJ there because we know we started the discussion but it couldn't happen in the club but there's a rooftop why not a rooftop before we can really party and of course I said yes and then I became weekly and it's been three years now I'm very grateful they helped me a lot to re-establish myself and and then many other happy accidents happen in Paris to get this help to be recognized as a jack-of-all-trade mm -hmm. and luckily now <laughs> I think it's in it's in the air when they see me in the credits of a pro project, they go like, why not? You know you can do anything. Yeah, like you've established yourself as someone who can do anything. Yeah, <laughs> anytime people see me on the job with a crew, they go like, on what team are you now? Um, and so, when you started off as a DJ, mm -hmm. um, what, did you already have this, this vision of everything that you wanted to be 20 <laughs> years down the line? No. What, what were you thinking then when you just started your career like out of out of university? Well, I guess you fantasize your your career and your life according to the people who are older than you in this business. I think I was a salesman part-time and I've been called to do a big job in Paris, but I was living and working in Brussels. So I had to take days off to go to rehearsal, do the show. I was I was a uh, working for a whole week at the Philharmonie of Paris in front of 1400 people live broadcasted live on television every biggest star in the country coming to see you what was the show it was a tribute to David Bowie and it was choreographed by Philippe de Couflet mm -hmm. so that was a big 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 baptism for me to be yeah. like welcome to the big names wow and I had to go back to sell shirts. <laughs> so oh, no. that was very, very contrast. hard. Also, realizing once and for all and vocalizing that you were into a vicious circle, which is your day job, is keeping you from having a career. But not having a career is obliging you to keep a day job. Mm. So yeah, that, that's really hard. And, and how do you break out of that then? Is it by doing a lot of different things? Or is it, um, for example, that, that huge show that gave you more visibility and then you book more shows? And I think it helped for sure. But I decided to quit my salesman job. And then I got a phone call to say, like, we have a big cabaret in Paris opening. Would you like to be a resident? And I said, I'll do more than that. I'll move to Paris for you because nothing was keeping me in Brussels anymore. Mm -hmm. I felt like if I gave up my day job to have a career, I have to move to the world capital of cabaret. Otherwise, yeah. I'm sabotaging myself. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you, when you moved to Paris um, to to be in that in that big cabaret show. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what was that show? It was called Menko Cabaret. Okay, it was Manco on um, Avenue Montaigne mm -hmm. and it was just underneath the theater of the Champs-Elysees. And he 
uh, this place lived for four years as a cabaret. It's still open, but it's only a nightclub. It changed my life. It was so strong. It was so intense. It was so scaring. And from the inside, but also <laughs> towards the outside, customers were afraid for us. They were fascinated. They were fanatic. We were touring the world on plus than just being on show every weekend. Yeah. And then it's just, it just stopped like that within a blink with no explanation and no thank you. Really? The show just stopped? Mm-hmm. Just like that. And do you now not know why? We have uh, ideas, but first of all, I don't think no one will ever know who's to blame. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. For it's, it's been a definitely, a, a, there's been a period of grieving for all of us. For we were living for that show. Mm -hmm. We were very emotional about it. I was going from my house to work and I was not going out. But yeah, we were stars, you know. I performed for Celine Dion twice, for Naomi Campbell, for Anna Wintour. Everybody that I worshipped, they were front row clapping at me. Mm. That was always... <laughs> I was looking so idiotic every night. I was like, how is that possible? The biggest people in the world were looking at us like we were superior to them. So how can you not be involved? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And did you ever meet any of them? Hmm? Yeah, yeah. And how, how did that feel, <laughs> meeting like Anna Wintour? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. It was so surreal. The first time it happened to us, we were probably very human and very stupid. The first <laughs> thing we said to stars must have been like... <laughs> And then after maybe two years of work, when the artistic directors would come backstage during makeup before the show opens, they'd be like, oh, tonight there was going to be Monica Bellucci and, uh, and uh, there's going to be Daft Punk and uh, Karina Watford and, and, and this and that and this and that. And be like, okay, cool. That was so big. We felt like we are giving our best every night, mm -hmm. no matter who's in the house. Yeah, and you were the stars of the show. So yeah. whoever the audience is, is an audience yeah. member. I think all. the hardest job was maybe at the beginning, when we heard that, we thought, how stupid is it? But the, 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 um, the way we've, we were so powerful as artists towards that audience, it was a trick game of us believing that we were more powerful than the audience. And they were super rich. They were spending in one night what you would sweat to earn in one month. Yeah. And still, you'd have to make them believe they were the lucky ones. It took a while. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. And do you think, like, performance is always about that? About um, the performer having more power than the audience? Mm. Is, is it a power game? Depending. You can be powerful with love. You can be powerful with weakness. You can be powerful with anger. There are so many emotions that you can work with on during a show. But then again, it was a cabaret. So it's late at night and your audience is rather drunk, if not <laughs> drugged. So <laughs> these emotions have to be exponential. Mm. So no matter what you do, you had no time for subtlety. You had to go all the way and be as 
like as strong as you can, which was a fascinating school because like for four years, the only way we knew how to, go to, to work was full speed ahead and being machines. And I loved it, but then when we, when we all went home with our costumes and wigs and makeup brushes, we were like, what do we do now? And it was very, we were lost. I guess all of us in the team were a bit lost. And then the pandemic happened. So for sure, we, we didn't, we didn't take the pandemic too hard, I suppose, because the hardest thing that could have been taken away from us was taken away like six, seven months before yeah. lockdown. Wow. Yeah, so that, that's actually really sad, that, especially that you didn't have time to prepare for it to end or... Well, we had gossips, but then it's nightlife and also for super rich people. So the economy is super ungrateful for people mm. you never respect the more money you have the less respect you have so that's 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 life we mm. got that experience i mean i told the world yeah the, the experience <laughs> must have been crazy and um what what was the what was the show about well, we could do anything we wanted basically did you change every night yeah, yeah but we i could do up to five or even yeah, up to five shows a night because we would usually do solos mm -hmm. and then quick change and go quick and do and have also maybe MC just talking to people, entertain people or you just dance or you just sing live or you just hang from the ceiling on a trapeze or, or just a hoop or whatever. I don't have those skills. I was very happy and glad and clever to look around at my workmate and be like, okay, why am I booked? What is my strength and what do they want from me? Push it further. Mm. And they were loving the creature. They were loving the fact that I was drag, but not classical drag, that I had something about the future. The way I was expressing myself was definitely uh, unique and authentic. And I had to push it every night to be more futuristic and, and, and more clever about how to renew a way a show is built as a mm. cabaret. How can it be entertaining while not being sure of what you look at? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, do, you, do you remember what your, your first ever show was? Yeah, it was a disaster. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I was not balanced. I remember just bringing up ideas and working on, on, on things and showing it to the directors. And they were loving the brain, but the execution was still very underground scene. It was not pushed to a Paris luxurious mm. but wh environment. So what, were the, what were the ideas um, um, that you were trying out at that time? Well, I was basically lip-syncing to a Beth Ditto song. I think it was Open Heart Surgery. Um, and I had made researches about a very Baroque uh, mayhem scenes of pain, uh, beautiful paintings that were very dark and with faces of thrill and fear. And we would use a strobe, strobe on a, a video mapping to 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 have flashes with my face and the makeup and, and the choreography. But it was not, I mean, I could have it w 
reworked. But I don't think this is the, f the type of show I, I want to portray. This is not me anymore. Mm. Yeah, but I that's, that's good as well because it <laughs> enables you to see the evolution, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I can only hope that now what you want to do is different to what you were doing four oh, years sure. ago. Also, your body is different, your brain is different, your audience is different. Everybody changes every day. Mm. You just need to make sure this is what you want to do and then go with it. And the audience, you know, there's like kind of a renewal of cabaret oh, nowadays. Yeah. Um, and it's like becoming more and more popular, perhaps. Um, do you get a sense of that in the audience, like people having changed from when you started to now or not really? Well... I change cities and I change money. Like it doesn't cost the same to see me now. Big game changer. Yeah. Then again, um, indeed when we got in lockdown and everyone was, uh, every enterprise, every, every, every place was trying to push on that um, on that uh, string of well you can actually have it on streaming we can do an online zoom party or whatever and people got angry be like no I need human interaction I need human material and I need human entertainment I don't want to see a movie about dance and I don't want to see just yeah, a projection of how it feels like to see somebody sweating and having emotions for you. Mm. So I think this is probably the reason why Cabaret got back, because we were craving for, for that, that moment, whether it is about entertainment, about comedy, about drama, about anger, about politic, about erotism. It doesn't matter. We just need a human in front of us mm. expressing but we need to have it in a moment of communion and fun and not too serious because otherwise you would go to places where you have to be silent you have to clap at the end meanwhile cabaret you can be drunk you can talk to your neighbor if you don't like the show and you can clap or not or you can be even shouted at or just pushed on stage and be like just do it yourself <laughs> and that is the excitement like anything could happen even just the fact of like engaging the audience you know uh -huh. it's uh they're I very happy because they feel alive and we also feel alive mm -hmm. it's a communion thing yeah. whenever we work on silent audience it is so stressful because you have no idea what's on their mind but on the other hand if you just pre you know chew as we say, like pre-mâché, you preach you the work too hard and be like, you have to clap when the dancer is removing a glove and you are not allowed to say, just get naked. And you can say this and not that. And when she comes at you, like she can touch you, you can touch them. And I, I'm not always a big fan of too many disclaimer. I think danger is what brings people together on those circumstances and danger can lead to trouble but if you don't live then don't do cabaret that, has it ever happened to you that you like felt and danger in danger yeah yeah, yeah. during during a show or yep 
uh, or even just talking to, to someone as an MC or just on my way to a job or on my way back home from a job. Mm, like it happens. It happens, of course. Yeah. It doesn't happen a lot because I'm always very... I don't know, it's like a superhero cape, having a wig on and your perfume and your shoes. There's a part of, now that I have it on me, I am a woman. I have decided that I am. Or if not a woman, I am a creature. And I am empowered and I'm in control. As soon as you've got that in your head, it's like, well, do I feel empowered or not? And if not, you'd be like, okay, just put your head down and just walk fast and go home. Mm -hmm. But it's okay. It's also deciding whether to be part of society as a creature or not. Maybe not all of us want to be that under the public eye every day, which is okay. You know, when you think about it, like for me, like wearing a tight pants, I know my cock is visible. Like I see whenever, this is my favorite jeans and everybody will be looking at my genitals. Uh, I have a t-shirt called Gay Villain. So <laughs> I, love that. I love those things. And whenever I, I have that window open in my brain of like, oh, you are going there. You are becoming that person in the public just has a discussion of who do I want to be mm. like do I want to be like the scared version of myself like no matter how discreet you want to be you are still you yeah in the world yeah. so what are you gonna do and and I think that's why like what you're saying about empowerment and feeling so empowered when you're actually who you want to be and and the visual representation of that is mm. is really important like being true to yourself and yeah. feeling that sense of like, I don't give a fuck, I'm the boss, like uh, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, and it's, it's tricky because that always, those conversations for me always lead up to very easy conclusions of you have to be proud, you have to be proud. Uh, oh, just be proud, just be who you are. Like what if you don't know who you are? What if the, the real you is an asshole? And what if there are days where you feel shit? You can and you don't want to be seen. It happens to me a lot when I get ready in my house and then I have to go to a place. But then I also realize I have to take a, the, the, I have to take a cab or, or just going out in my corridor or things like that. And what pisses me off sometimes is I feel like I'm giving the work I've done to become that to the wrong people. The first ones who are seeing me in that state did not ask for it. Mm. <laughs> sometimes it, it just rings a bell to be like, I took two hours for this. You're the first one to witness it. And you don't do anything with it. Yeah. And Thankfully, I don't have to take subway or public transport in drag because I'm, I'm fine financially and stable. So I can just take a cab because it's safe. Um, I don't know about the queens who can take public transport in drag, but shout out to them. Like, this is so brave. Mm. But, you know, when you're broke, you're broke. I did it too at, at my early days, but couldn't anymore just to also on top of that being mentally prepared to be under the public eye as a victim because I'm a very effeminate man uh, looking like uh, like a rainbow princess alone with my most valuable possession like keys wallet and phone yeah. in high heels and this you know tight skirt be like how am I gonna run yeah
And how much work is it actually to, <laughs> to prepare if you're, oh, wow. if you're in drag and you want to be a rainbow princess? I have to put out a look for Friday, by the way. Uh, because I have the viewing party for Drag Race and then I DJ after Seron. I'm so thrilled. Uh, so I need to have one dress for the afternoon and one dress for the evening. I know my dress for the evening and I know my wig because I'm not going to change wigs. So I have to find the dress for daytime that goes with the wig I have. I need to select the shoes. Maybe I'll have two pairs in case I'm drunk and I'm my, my feet hurt. <laughs> and you can't handle the heels anymore. Uh, yeah, like any woman. Yeah, no, I get you. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, who doesn't have a spare? And then once I've selected what I want, if I'm very in control, I've got plenty of time and I feel great, I make sure that every makeup brush is clean, that I've selected every product, every eye color that I have, Next to me, the inspiration picture for makeup, if I want to do something special. The wig is clean. It took me usually two to four hours to prepare it. The clothes are ironed, um, stitched if there's any retouching needed. Um, and, and then, uh, yeah, you have food in the fridge. So like whenever you need, you don't have to cook. There's no time for it. Mm. You have some nice music just coffee and then yeah makeup can take you know for me my usual is an hour and a half if I'm in a rush I can go shorter to even one hour and to be super beautiful or the longest or the craziest transformation I, I may have done took me probably I think I did seven hours and a half Wow. But it was a body paint and I had an assistant. What was the transformation? Oh, usually my skeleton look. I've done it for um, 11 years now. There's one thing about cabaret, which is it's so linked to the fashion industry. Mm. What about it makes it so like complementary to fashion? Fashion loves cabaret because they can see people wearing the most extraordinary stuff and looking as natural as possible, as if they were born with those kilos of fluorescent feathers. Mm, yeah. And they see girls who are dancers with a twist. They are nightlife legends. Um, and then Cabaret loves fashion for without them, we wouldn't have any inspiration to renew our vocabulary. Like we both inspire each other. It's a constant dialogue. For I've worked for with fashion for years. Fashion came to see cabaret for years. It's been a very ongoing collab with every designer. Whenever they talk about, oh, we love sparkle, we love champagne, and we love, we just love dance and fun. And be like, well, come to the show. Um, and one thing I, I really want to talk about before before we wrap up is um, your show as well, Vanillon. Yeah. Uh, Vanillon, it's my baby. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really want to know like how, where did the idea come from, and also what it takes to, well, to run a to cabaret do and to yeah. do it. Well, first of all, I'm um, I'm only director of an itinerary troupe. We do not own a place, and we created Vanillon 12 years ago in Brussels actually, in a rather like uh, unconventional place, which was a very old school drag bar where 
you know, 50-year-old transvestite would do imitations of Celine Dion, Whitney Houston, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And we've been hired to be the punks of the house that would take the whole place and turn it upside down. We did, <laughs> to a certain point when they were like, well, thank that's enough. They were kind of like, okay, I, we didn't expect it to be that successful and that crazy. But we were on a roller coaster. We were like, as long as we have audience to like what we do, we're going to keep growing. We had to move to a bigger theater. And then in 2015, when I moved to Paris to be a resident artist full time, I had no time to work on the t that project anymore. But it was still, to me, the best years of my life. I, I took back Banilon last year, I'd say, like May 2022. For we were left out, a, a lot of friends in the artistic field, in the cabaret field, were feeling like there's a renew of cabaret, but we are always being asked to do things that we do not really care about. And we wish we were independent and all together. So I just dug that whole project from, from afar, from another country, to be like, okay, let's just resuscitate that language. Mm. But it could still resonate in Paris seven years later. And it does work, thankfully. That, that's that it's still lost. What do you think about it makes it work? Um, I think people feel it, that we are very proud of what we do. They can see that we all surpass ourselves on stage. And also we have a very strong intellectual background. We are all horror movie nerds. We all like the, the, the Z generation of very cheap, uh, late 70s vibe of like uh, VHS and we are stuck in a period of time of vintage but we also want to be fresh we're not here to be postcards we want to be fresh we want to be funny we want to be stupid this is a thing I also insist a lot for me stupidity is the freedom trying to pretend to be clever for people is claiming superiority while you have to be a clown you have to be a bouffant and that takes a lot of brightness to be just a dumb ass of the room. And then I hope to be back for Halloween with the team. Mm -hmm. But a regular night at Banilon means that I will talk with a space. We will have an agreement. Then I will communicate about it to my team and choose the ones that are gonna do the job because usually all of them want to be there and yeah. I'm like I don't have money for everyone how how many people are on the team uh, we now we're up to 17 18 on stage but then we have technique we have administration communication I think we are bored of 25 now okay well wow. which is fine like back in Belgium I was up to 35 do you have trouble saying no to, to things oh yes We've been told many times that the biggest weak weakness of our group is that we are too nice. But I can't help it. We may look very offensive and very structured and very organized and, and I seem to be very <laughs> enthusiastic but also driven and authoritarian. But still, that economy makes no money. Like everyone is broke as hell. And in the end, you just have 
to be kind because everything people do they are already aware that they do it for peanuts but yet it doesn't stop them from doing it because they believe in who you are and what you do so the best thing you can do is being fucking kind yeah otherwise you're just profiting and you don't do cabaret basically you don't do art if you want to do is money in business <laughs> don't do it. but what i love about is expression and and the way it makes people happy whether you want stage or in the in the room thank you very much for listening to sunday's trolls if you liked it i would appreciate it so much if you shared it to others around you a map for this week's episode is available on Instagram and you can follow the page at Sunday Strolls Pod. You can also follow Jean Biche and all of his work on Instagram and on his website. The links are in the show notes. Thanks again and see you next week for a new stroll.